Welcome to Restart Radio. I'm Dave Pickering and I make podcasts. I spend most of my life online, but I've got no idea how to fix any of the devices that help me to spend my time there. But I've been invited to a party. It's called a restart party and this party might just help me to understand the technology that I use every day and all the time. A Restart Party is a pop-up community repair event where skilled volunteers help people diagnose and repair their broken electronics. They are organised by the Restart Project, who are a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. So let's go now to a Restart Party. My name's Ian and I've got a computer speaker system which needs fixing basically one one of the speakers doesn't work and one of them does what do you do when your device asks you to update i get really cheesed off and ignore it as much as i can and then if it continues to pop up which it does for example my macbook the chrome on it it says chrome's no longer going to support this operating system my macbook's about six years old which i don't think is that old but apparently it's too old for chrome to continue as it is so i'm really cheesed off and the deadline's passed so they're no longer supporting it but i'm still using it and it's (laughs) fingers crossed it's been fine so so basically it's denial In today's episode, we're going to be thinking about what actually happens when we update our software. What are the security implications of not updating? What are the disadvantages and dangers of clicking yes or clicking no when those annoying little boxes pop up on your screen? My name is Darian Graham-Smith. I'm the Associate Editor of PC Pro Magazine, which you probably know is the UK's biggest technology monthly. Um, I also do a couple of bits on the side. For example, uh, I recently had an article in The Observer about internet security so you know basically i'm i'm a bit immersed in technology let's say I think everyone listening will know that, I mean, you know, we get tempted by uh, by the promise of new features, by shiny new, you know, new, new toys to play with. We all know that we should update for security reasons. It gets more and more important, uh, you know, as time goes by and the bad guys get a bit smarter about finding vulnerabilities. But actually, it's the shiny new features and it's the new icons and it's all that that, that really tempts us in many cases. My name is Dirk Vogt and I'm a software engineer at Fairphone. Software developers make mistakes. That's one reason why I need updates. It is said that per 1000 lines of code, you have 15 to 50 errors in there. And not all of those errors are caught during testing. That means the software gets shipped to the consumer with all those errors in there. This becomes very tricky when those errors are in security related portions of the software. An example of such an error or bug, as you call it, is the stage fright bug, which uh, was hitting Android last summer, which basically allowed an attacker theoretically to take over a phone without any interaction of the user just by sending a specially prepared MMS. Software has bugs. It's inevitable. There are going to be shortcomings and there's going to be you know things that just don't work the way you want them to. While it may seem a little bit unfair, quite often I think you'll find if you've got a program that doesn't quite do what it should, if you go on the online forums and you say, you know, oh, I've got this problem, quite often the, the answer to that will be, oh, that's fixed in the latest release, so you need to upgrade. It's understandable that companies aren't going to just carry on servicing and tweaking and fixing a program that they might have released three, five, ten years ago, uh, forever. Um, So upgrading as well is just a way of making sure not only that you're secure, but also that you're getting a a stable and full-featured experience. But there might be also other reasons for an update. Support for new technologies, new radio standards, support for new operators, 
or even new hardware. So you could, for example, imagine that in the case of the Fairphone 2, which is modular, that there is a new hardware module. And then, of course, you need to update the operating system to support this new module. And finally, major operating system upgrades, which bring new applications, new look and feel. Users might also consider this a reason to update. We'll be hearing more from Dirk and Darian in today's episode. But first, let's hear some more from Ian, who I recorded at a restart party in Belsize Park Library. It's a really quite an important conversation I was going to have on Skype, and it didn't work. And apparently, I had to reset my password or something, and it took ages. And the reason was, it was because I'd inadvertently upgraded it without me knowing. And I probably did press a button to upgrade it, but it's so by stealth these days. It's like some pop-up opens, and you just click OK, and it's upgraded. And apparently, because I upgraded it, it would no longer work with my operating system. Or it was incompatible with something, so I couldn't use Skype. So it... I was, I was like, pulling my hair out, and then I had to reinstall my old version of Skype. And now I'm on always on the lookout. I'm really, like, hyper alert when I'm on Skype to see if it wants me to upgrade, because I know not to upgrade. Yeah, so, very negative. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't easy. I consider myself pretty IT literate, so, you know, if it was someone else, you know, someone who's of a different generation or someone who wasn't, I'm, you know, they haven't got a kind nephew or someone, <laughs> pretty much screwed. I try not to update <laughs> as much as possible because usually stuff that you've got doesn't work anymore. I mean, updating, I try and avoid as much as I can because I know it's just, for me, it's a scam, <laughs> basically. Right, and I've heard a lot of people have that opinion. I think there's a lot of truth to it. Doing this episode on it now, I'm finding out it's a little bit more complicated than that in some ways. Like There's some good updates and some bad updates. The problem is we don't know which ones are which. You know, they're trying to move everyone up to the new operating systems so that they can market the new stuff to you and compatibility stuff that they're phasing out that you don't know of. So it's, you know, it's, it's harder and harder for you to stay in the old operating systems or not to have the update. And basically they want you to buy the new stuff, which you know i disagree with that's the problem though isn't it you don't know no. which one's gonna fix bugs yeah, and which one's gonna true. trap that's you true. into something you know yeah, yeah. yeah I, I totally see I what mean, you're saying even as, even as subversive as having an update box with the same kind of aesthetics and style as a security box there's an element of trust there right you trust okay this is this pop-up box is usually it's a security box okay i, I must trust it but it's an update so so where does it cross the line well, in an ideal world, it'd be completely transparent, so you would know in layman's terms, like, what, why is it you, they're asking you to update, what compatibility issues that will, there will be, what are the consequences of it. A good update has to fix problems. Some of the problems uh, the user might be aware of, and other problems he might not be aware of, like the security vulnerabilities, because I guess that most users are not reading a security mailing list to check if their phone is currently vulnerable to some attacks. So it also means that the users should not have to pull for updates, but the updates should offer it to the user very convenient manner. Most of the times you get a little notification on the phone that there's a new update and then you can click it and the update will install. And this installation also should not take too much time. And ideally, this whole process can be automated so that the user actually doesn't have to do anything. And if you take the most convenient way of doing those updates, which are fully automatic updates without any user interaction whatsoever, then we can already see that there might be also a problem, right? Because the phone manufacturer can now put 
any kind of software on the user's device. So the user just has to really trust his phone manufacturer. And last but not least, I think in a good update is an update that has a good adoption rate so that a lot of users install. So it comes with the necessary education for the uh, users that it's necessary to install these updates. And we have still around 10% uh, users which are on the operating system our Fairphone 2 was shipped with. And uh, we will reach out to those users in the blog post actually to tell them how important it is to upgrade also to protect themselves. Updating is always something you step into with a bit of trepidation, but it is worth doing because the security issues are becoming more insidious. There are gangs out there now who are really working very hard to find any kind of little trick they can do to break into any kind of software to launch what's called a privilege escalation attack, where they may get into some piece of software that seems completely innocent and unconnected to anything that you'd really care about, but it enables them to sink their hooks into your computer and let them perhaps spy on what you're doing online or get at your banking details. And it, it can come from anywhere and it can be completely unexpected. And, and you may not even know it's happened until you get a phone call from the fraud squad or you check your bank statement a month later. It would be nice to think that, you know, we could still live in a world where you get something and it works on day one and three years later it works the same and you don't have to worry about it. That's not the world we live in. And although updating your, your software can be a pain and it can be in a little bit concerning. At the very, very least, I think it's important to keep an eye on security updates, even if you don't, you know, jump from version to version, and just make sure that you're staying up to date with that stuff. One one example of an update which is always very eagerly awaited is the annual iOS or iOS update for the iPhone and the iPad. For as long as the thing's been around, people have rushed to sort of to try out, as I say, the new features and uh, to make sure they've got the latest security. And there's new apps, there's always, you know, Apple always puts up a web page saying there's, you know, 150 new features or whatever it may be, plus into the, the new operating system. I mean, not not all of those are actually particularly welcome features. Um, I think two, two or three years ago, they changed the icons, they changed a lot of things about the appearance and the way that the front end works, and some people were actually, actually thought that was a retrograde step. I'll give you an example, actually. I mean, an example of an update which doesn't do anything obvious is if you've got Acrobat Reader installed on your PC, you get a pop-up approximately, it feels like every 14 minutes or so, saying there's an update, there's a security update that you need to install. And we don't. I mean, I don't know anybody who takes takes those particularly seriously or gets very excited about them. We should, because obviously vulnerabilities are serious business, but it doesn't bring you any new features. It doesn't bring you any kind of shiny new toys to play with. Uh, it doesn't fix anything that's broken. And so we, we don't jump at that. The so chipset manufacturers, uh, which the phone manufacturers rely on, to provide those updates are not supporting those old platforms anymore. So they would have to invest work for adapting the new Android versions to this older chipset, and the chipset is not built in new phones anyway, so there's no economic incentive to do so. And that's actually the problem that we have had with the Fairphone 1, that at some point our chipset manufacturer, MediaTek, decided not to offer upgrade to KitKat. Uh, at least not supported. Now, luckily, we got a, a license from MediaTek with some source code, which made it possible for us to create a KitKat version. And we just released the alpha version of KitKat for the Fairphone 1. Once 
this update is uh, ripe, uh, we can ship these newer Android versions to our old Fairphone 1 users. And at this point, we also can apply again uh, security updates to our users. The whole Android update problem is two times as that if you take into account that Android is actually open system, that means you can take it, you can build it yourself, you can adapt it, but you still need the clue between Android and the actual hardware. And the problem is that the specification for this hardware is usually not available. I think something that could really solve this problem in the long run is open hardware. This is hardware which specification is available to, to everybody. So if somebody decides, I want a new Android version on this piece of hardware, then I just write the drivers myself. And there are people out there that would have the ability to do that. And I think that is really a direction that we should go to. And we at Fairphone, we actually try to go in this direction to at least make what we can make available to the users available. So we published the source code for the Fairphone 2 and users can download the source code and they can build their own version of Android for uh, their Fairphone 2. And they can then apply uh, fixes or write fixes themselves and make their own update. Also, they could choose to go for a different version of an operating system. So, for example, there are other open source operating systems out there, for example, Sailfish or Ubuntu. They could then port those operating systems to the phone. And then even if Google decides not to supply updates for Fairphone anymore or we can't update the Fairphone to a newer Android version, they can still switch to another operating system for which another party could supply the updates for. My name's Savita. I just hate doing updates. I think the only thing that I like about the Mac, maybe, is that it doesn't have so many problems when you update compared to Windows updates, for me personally. But I feel that every time you do an update, something goes wrong. <laughs> so I really hate doing them. I usually say, not now. In <laughs> in an hour, in four hours, any any option, except updating until something happens where it doesn't work or something's not compatible. But a lot of the time, I I don't even know what the update is for, and I don't think I'm in a minority. I think most people probably wouldn't. In this next section of the show, I go off script a bit because when I was talking to Darian over Skype, we realised that I was in the middle of an update crisis myself. What everybody wants, I think, is software that silently, quietly just applies the fixes that are needed in the background. Nobody wants to be nagged. Nobody wants to, you know, you open up a programme, you want to do your work. You don't want to be presented with a requester that says, you must go to this website and download this enormous package and apply the update because otherwise you're not safe. That's annoying. At the same time, though, I think, you know, one thing... That, that, that is very annoying is when you get an update and it's changed things that you didn't want changed. I think a lot of people, um, it's very timely now talking about Windows 10, for example, a lot of people didn't really want to go to Windows 10 because they were quite happy with Windows 7, sort of pushing too hard for people to move on to something which is going to change a lot of the way they work is, is kind of a worse practice in a way because it discourages people from, from getting the update, which will include you know, not just those changes, but also important critical security improvements. 
Right, that makes me nervous because I, I, today's the day to run out, but I can't. I'm, I'm not. I'm not updating to ten at the moment. But have you got any other examples of a, a terrible update? A terrible update? Oh, you've put me on the spot there. Well, I mean, obviously, if we're talking about Windows, I think a lot of people would tell you that Windows 8 was a big step in the wrong direction. That was an update which was motivated entirely by Microsoft's desire to to kind of change how Windows was perceived in the marketplace and what it did, and wasn't in any way driven by what customers actually wanted. It was one of those very top down changes where it's now you're going to get this and you're going to lump it and the reaction was you know I, I don't think anyone in the real world outside of Microsoft's boardroom was particularly surprised the reaction was overwhelmingly negative and they had to sort of quite quickly row back all their rhetoric about how wonderful this whole new touchscreen world was going to be and uh, produce as I say Windows 10 which is a bit more well it's a it's a, it's a slightly more friendly move from Windows 7. And how long can manufacturers afford to update and maintain devices and what are the costs how long's a piece of string really it very much depends on on what exactly the, the you know the software and the hardware we're talking about is and there are systems which really they work they've worked for a very long time and they don't really require a lot of maintenance and this is a bit of a niche a bit of a geeky example but latex the the layout language i believe that's been pretty much stable and it's had uh, uh, you know minor updates but no you know no no major relaunches for decades now and there's no reason why something simple that does a single job you know shouldn't be quite cost effectively maintained for a long time. The issue, I guess, is, you know, as things get more complicated, as, as the code base grows, there will be more vulnerabilities, there will be more exploits. And so, again, just coming back to Windows, because an example I know very well, Microsoft, you know, gives you, I think it's five, seven, nine even years, I think, of extended support where they're still going to be producing security patches for editions of Windows. I mean, Windows XP came out in 2001 and support for it only ended, I think it was last year. So that's 14 years odd of, of Microsoft effectively supporting that. What about people's fears about updates, about having the usability of their computers degraded when they upgrade and fears about the pointlessness of some up upgrades and how, how that can tie you into financial things and stuff like that? Yeah, it's a, it's a very legitimate fear. And I think it, that's really on the, the producers, on the publishers to make sure that that's suitably assuaged. The Windows 10 update, I mean, you say you haven't been through it yourself, but you, you get little reassuring things popping up saying, you know, all your files are exactly where you left them, all your programs will still work. I mean, there's an understanding now in the industry that perhaps wasn't there 10 years ago that people are, you know, they're very reluctant to, to go through this because they've been burnt, because they have made a switch. I mean, I personally, uh, just to go back to Office, which I mentioned earlier, I personally was a big fan of the change in the way that Office worked between Office 2003, which had the classic sort of Windows 3 style uh, menus and icons, and then they introduced the ribbon interface, which we still have today in Office 2007. And a lot of people screamed blue murder at that. They were very, very unhappy about the way that had been changed. But I think these days there's a little bit more awareness that if you want your users to install updates, and you do want your users to install updates because you really don't want you know your, your product to be associated with you know an enormous security breach, which is obviously the fundamental inescapable reason why updates can't be just you know, just ignored, just, just gone with that. If you don't want to be associated with that, then you need to be meeting your customers and giving them a reason to upgrade and, and not scaring them right, off. Right, although it's tricky. I mean, one, one of the reasons that I'm, I'm not upgrading to Windows 10 at the moment is because my printer is not compatible with Windows 10. So staying on, on Windows 7 means I don't have to buy a new printer. I don't have to have my printer kind of stop working before it actually has stopped working. Because I mean, I, I've been convinced very much by this work I've been doing with Restart. And so I, uh, I don't want to uh, 
get rid of my printer before its kind of natural life has ended. On the very specific topic of, uh, of, of Windows 10, actually, I mean, Microsoft hasn't done a very good job of, of clarifying this, but drivers that work on Windows 7 should normally work on Windows 10. And if they don't, it will probably be because they're not digitally signed. And there are ways that you can force Windows 10 to install unsigned drivers. Now, obviously, installing unsigned drivers isn't something you'd really want to do. That's why they insist in Windows 10 that you can normally only use um, signed ones. But if you're using your unsigned drivers in Windows 7 and haven't had any trouble with them, I don't see any reason why they should suddenly become dangerous when you move to Windows 10. It is a slightly complicated procedure to make that work, though. I can understand why they're kind of discouraging that. But if after we finish this interview, if you're you're inspired to maybe have a change of heart about Windows 10, I think it's very likely that with a little bit of of tweaking and uh, and so forth, you probably will be able to get 99.9% of things that worked in Windows 7 running. And I would think a printer is such a mainstream and such a simple piece of hardware. It's almost guaranteed that it will it will be possible. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, though. It's the time suck as well that can happen with, with updates. I mean, this this idea that, that you sort of just click on them and then they update and it's all kind of quick and easy and painless has not been my experience of updates. Sometimes you just don't have three hours for your computer to be out of action or you don't have a couple of days to work out how to reinstall your your printer i mean those are kind of the i guess some of the concerns we'll have about updates yeah absolutely and i mean microsoft has done the best it can with windows 10 i think in terms of just how quick it is to install and how effortless it is it really is just a couple of clicks and you're, you're up and running in your new operating system it's not just about whether the operating system is working an issue that applies particularly to businesses is that little things will not be in the same place that they were before like i said earlier people don't like it when everything changes windows 10 is actually not that enormous a switch from windows 7 but certain things are necessarily going to be different. It wouldn't be an upgrade if everything were identical. Businesses in particular, they really don't like the idea that somebody who they rely on to, you know, to do a job, do a particular job in a, in a timely manner and to know what they're doing, will be confronted with a screen or a window or a request or a message which isn't familiar to them. And it's going to incur a time cost, a training cost. They might even make mistakes. While we're on, on Windows 10 and, and my own concerns for a moment, I mean, what about the, because today is, in theory, the last day. I mean, this podcast won't go out till September. September, but today is the last day that I can upgrade to Windows 10. That seems like a strange decision to have a, a, a time limit, a moment that you can upgrade by and then you have to pay if they want to keep everything secure and safe for everyone, because I won't be able to afford to pay in the future. So if I don't sign up today, which I might do now, I've spoken to you, you know, I won't be able to upgrade and they won't be able to keep their their systems secure. Yeah, it's a bit weird the way Microsoft has done it. But I mean, if you look back historically, until Windows 10, you always had to go out and buy the new uh, edition of Windows from day one, or you had to buy a new computer that had it on. So they've actually been a lot more generous than they had than they had in the past about getting people onto the new operating system. I agree, though, the cutoff date is a strange strategic decision. It, it feels like maybe a bit of a compromise that perhaps in, inside Microsoft, one faction was saying, let's give it away for free, because then we know that every Everybody is on the latest edition and everybody's going to have the, the latest security updates. And also, I mean, from Microsoft's point of view, everybody's got the platform that lets them run these new Windows Store apps, which is a whole kind of, you know, that, that was introduced with Windows 8. These apps that, uh, that, that, that they're not full fat desktop apps. They're, they're kind of more lightweight, more nimble. They're more kind of by analogy with iPad apps. And that's that's where I think Microsoft sees the future. At the same time, I think another 
faction within Microsoft may have been saying, hang on, we're throwing away potentially a lot of money here. Uh, perhaps from businesses who will spend a long time doing a, an assessment before they deploy Windows 10, they're not going to just jump on on day one. Quite often people will spend, you know, two, three years uh, making sure that everything works and that they've got their training in place before they'll install a new version of Windows. And maybe sort of Microsoft thought, well, we don't want to miss out on that. There's also the, um, the, the accelerating factor, the encouragement, the urgency that it adds. I mean, I, I think um, you know, my wife has had little pop-ups coming up on her computer for months and months and months. Um, I, I guess it must be nigh on a year um, saying you're still running Windows 7, upgrade to Windows 10, it's free. And every time she sees it and goes, oh, well, maybe I should do that at some point. But, you know, not today. What's the rush? I've got things to do. I'm not going to bother with it. Um, now, uh, just a couple of days ago, <laughs> that came up and it said you've got you've got three days left to, to claim your free update. And yeah, it just sharpens the, the minds of people who've been, been putting it off and putting it off. As to whether it will really, you know, rock it up in price to, I don't know what it's going to be, you know, I mean, previous editions of Windows have been £100 plus, whether that's actually going to be the case for very long or whether they're going to slash the cost of it, maybe in the run up to Christmas or something, just to kind of mop up those people who now feel that they are properly left behind, that remains to be seen. Yeah, I mean, that that big countdown clock certainly uh, scared me, but I think it also can probably, and, and this might be the case for me too, alienates people and makes them feel like they're being pressured into something and some people will dig their heels in when they feel like they're being pressured, uh, even if some people will then go, oh, yeah, that's a, a thing I need to do. Yeah, Microsoft's really handled it badly, to be honest with you, because <laughs> um, it's one thing to, to just keep, you know, remind people or keep the information available that you are entitled to this free update. But Microsoft has gone too far, I think, with with pestering people and with coming up with uh, requesters that make it look like you're just saying, OK, I've understood that Windows 10 is available, but you click that button and actually you, you've, you've effectively said, OK, install Windows 10. People come back to their computers and find the operating system, you know, has changed overnight. And that's a, a very alarming and very discomforting thing. And also, I mean, to be honest, when Microsoft seems so desperate to give away Windows 10, when it seems like so, so insistent that you have to have it, it makes you a bit suspicious. It makes you think, you know, what's wrong with this operating system? Why don't they think I would, I would pay good money for it? Why are they trying to sneak it onto my computer through the back door? It's a bit of a failure of nerve, I think. After speaking to Darian, I did decide to upgrade to Windows 10, which took quite a while. And so luckily, I did it just after I'd finished work for the day, or it would have definitely got in the way of things that I needed to do. And having decided to do that does mean that I currently can't use my printer until I find a moment to sit down and puzzle out the workaround that Darian mentioned. But the question is, why, why are there anti-update users? So there might be users which think updates, they bring new features and features, they take more of my processing power and then the battery drains faster. To a certain degree, it might be true if you have major operating system upgrades, but also take into account that the battery wears out over time. So that the battery doesn't last so long, might not actually be related to the update. Or he could say, yeah, I don't know what comes with an update or he's just not aware that his phone is actually vulnerable to attacks. Uh, there is actually uh, currently a malware around which runs on 10 million Android devices, 100k of them in the United Kingdom. So those updates are really necessary to uh, to stay safe in a connected world. If you take a look at this major operating system updates, as long as the operating system is supported by the operating system manufacturer and 
there are security updates supplied by the manufacturer, then there is not really a problem. You don't have to upgrade if you don't want to. And nobody should be forced to upgrade to a, to a new operating system version. But as soon as this operating system is out of support, then you should consider updating. And maybe you can update to a completely different open operating system, which uh, will be always supplied with updates by volunteers and uh, open source developers like uh, Linux, for example. How would updating software look in an ideal world? I think you would be told in very clear English why you need to update. What is it that's wrong with your computer? And you have a choice to upgrade, maybe in a modular way that you can update certain parts of it. You don't have to up- update the whole system. Maybe that would help some, somebody like me who doesn't have space on their computer you know, where you can just update parts of it. And then when it's done, it tells you what exactly has been done. Again, in really easy English, not technical jargon. That's what I would love in an ideal world. When making this episode, I discovered that Windows 7 will continue security updates till 2020 and that Windows 8 will continue them until 2023. So whether or not I'd updated my computer in security terms, it would have been fine. And I guess that's the thing. In order for us to make informed choices that don't affect the way that we use our technology in an adverse way, what's needed is better clarity, transparency, and a sense of trust between us and the software that we're using. Restart Radio is both a podcast and a weekly show that goes out at 1.30 on Tuesdays on Resonance 104.4 FM, repeated on Thursdays at 11 a.m. As with all episodes of Restart Radio, we'll include links with background information to all of the issues and stories discussed over at therestartproject.org. The music that you've heard in today's episode was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between Octo Noise and Cassini Sound. Today's restart party is over, so it's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other. Goodbye, everybody.